This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. Okay, so today's episode needs like a little tiny bit of an intro, which is what I'm recording right now. So a few weeks ago, I ran into my friend Miguel, who just happened to be in town uh, at an antique store by where I live in St. Paul. And Miguel is someone that I know through Aaron, the drummer of my band, Another Heaven, new record out now, etc. And uh, I met Miguel on tour. Uh, it was just kind of like we happened to be in Michigan on tour and Aaron was like, oh, my friend Miguel is going to come. Miguel's awesome. And Miguel is awesome. Uh, just a super cool dude, super fun dude to talk to. And uh, I guess one thing I didn't know about Miguel, and that's kind of a theme with some of these upcoming episodes, is I'm bringing on some of my older friends who I had no idea, like, even liked video games or cared at all. Um, but yeah, it turns out he's obsessed with Castlevania. So when we were, you know, kind of chatting in that antique store, in the basement of that antique store, surrounded by a bunch of weird garbage, I was like, hey, just come on and talk to me about Castlevania. And so I think in the future, like, I'm going to have Miguel back to talk about specific Castlevania games, because as you'll hear, he's played them all, which is awesome. But this is sort of an introduction to talking to Miguel about Castlevania. I was originally just going to call it Miguel's Castlevania episode, but uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give it a pithier title. Anyway, in terms of a formal introduction, Miguel Perez is a musician uh, and all-around awesome person. In the background here, you're listening to his band River Rats. You can find their music at riverratsrock.bandcamp.com. It will come up again in the episode, but you should definitely listen to River Rats. Super fun, kind of power pop, pop punk band. Um, They have a great vocalist, Meg, who adds almost like a magnetic fieldsy kind of vibe to the band because she can really sing uh yeah so okay now you're familiar let's get into it it's a long conversation it's kind of wide-ranging but i think if you love castlevania you're gonna love this me too i just uh i got it well it was it was interesting because you you had said Something about uh, I don't know, all, all all these people kind of responding to the pandemic, like almost. I was like almost like we got insight into people's lives that we maybe not would have. Like we had to kind of see another side of life. Like I'm so used to being social and going out. I like grocery shopping, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like being forced to sort of be a little more careful about when you do it, you know, how often you do it. Right. It's kind of funny. You just made me think of uh, some habits that you pick up along the way, like some of the habits I, I developed while being in, in the pandemic. Like it wasn't, the pandemic started not too soon after I had like graduated from like grad school. Okay. And I already was living like a hermit as it was. So we're having this conversation about Castlevania. Like that's how it all started, it was just like, adapting to having to be a more like inside solitary person and so 
I think it's, it's, it's just thinking about that. That's an interesting, this is how, why we're talking about this now is because of being forced to be indoors and be alone. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting even just with doing this show that like it started a year before the pandemic, like almost exactly a year before the pandemic, but it kind of like weirdly hit its stride during the pandemic because like people want that social interaction. So like our discord and our community really like blew up and got a lot more people who are active in it. And like we had more people like guesting on the show and like wanting to talk about this kind of stuff because it's like, yeah, you're stuck inside. You're doing more like stuff like playing video games, watching movies or whatever. And like you want to talk to other people about it because you also miss that social interaction part so i think it really did change a lot of people's lives in that way like in terms of like what you do for leisure uh that's something i've been thinking about too because like the film industry is pushing really hard to be like people need to get back into theaters people need to go back to theaters and blah blah and it's like dude like no i mean a lot of people realize that you could just watch shit at home and the theater fucking sucks like well then put out a good movie that yeah. i want to see like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i see what's out there and then of course you've got the amazons and the netflix and the hulus who are like doing their own original stuff and it's like you i yeah it's tough there's too much media out there almost in a sense and like what i've seen you're talking about like your your podcast sort of growing and I mean, how many people started a podcast because the musicians in general like have a podcast now because they can't tour, because they can't get in the yeah. studio. Yeah, for sure. It's like you want that um you want that like social interaction and you want that, you know, that feeling that you get from making something in like a communal way, you know? And like yeah, I mean, early pandemic, I was making like email records, basically. Like one of my bands, we did a whole album of NES covers, like covers of old Nintendo music, you know, mm-hmm. um, which includes Castlevania. All right. Okay. This is officially now a plug for my band. Die did a, an album called Die Entertainment System has a great cover of the original Castlevania theme, stage one theme. Okay. Vampire uh, killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but like. We did that all over email, just sending each other parts back and forth. And like another heaven put out some singles that we we had recorded already, but I had to do some extra stuff. And then like we had to, you know, mix them basically over email. Just like, hey, give me your notes and we'll do this shit. And yeah, you had to get creative to like have that, you know, have that feeling. But so for you, your whole Castlevania journey was like over the pandemic, right? Or were you already a fan of? Well... I would say that it it gave me an excuse to just dive balls deep into, into <laughs> that world. I mean, I mean, I I I admittedly only got into Castlevania a couple of years ago. Um, I had I just started watching YouTube shows, video games shows, and kind of started thinking. I was like, oh man, I remember those games. I remember retro. Like I had a Nintendo and a Sega growing up, but video games had kind of been. I don't know, they were fun to play every once in a while with some buddies, but I, I wasn't really into buying consoles or collecting and Right. But I I had I think it was like the angry video game nerd or that guy and he said something like Castlevania kicks ass or something and I'm like, Well, I've never even played that before. Like that's a classic <laughs> game. Like that was about the time I was like, Man, I've never played Legend of Zelda, like I've never played Metro like I've never got in I wanna I wanna play these old games and I wanna beat them. 
Right. Like I, anything I wasn't able to do as a kid, like have the technology and the resources to do it now. Like, why not? So Castlevania was on the list, and I got the NES game, and I thought, okay, this is cool. And I, it probably took me, it took me about two or three years to actually be able to beat it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like, I actually sat down. Like that was the, weirdly enough the the second Castlevania game I played was Symphony of the Night, and um, so I was just like, I kind of went forwards and backwards, and I think the first Castlevania game was the first, the last one that I actually was able to beat. Yeah, that game is fucking brutal. Like, yeah, I in the last. So we just put out an episode about Symphony of the Night, and in that episode, I said that I feel like the original Castlevania is simultaneously the most like stereotypical NES game in terms of how like difficult it is and how just like unfair right. it is, but it's also very forward thinking in terms of like it's visual design the sound you know some of the ideas in the gameplay like there's actually a lot of depth to it which you know puts it above a lot of the like shittier nes like action platform games but it's also just brutally hard well and that's that's something that you kind of learn to manipulate in your own way like i i now going back and playing the, the original Castlevania you can see like the as as forward as that game was like the technical limitations like there's a it's, you're getting the same exact experience every single time and like once you crack that code in a sense it opens the game up almost entirely mm-hmm. for me like at, at this point I can play through the original Castlevania in 45 minutes right because now I know I need to get the holy water I know the pattern of the Medusa heads like I know where that that those like bone pillars are gonna be like I know how to beat Frankenstein and death like there's not like the challenge is still there in a sense it's more like the challenging yourself like memorization it's a stamina of being able to play that game all the way through and the fact that they give you unlimited continues to do that yeah. I mean, it, that's why it took me two years because I could I had it on my my Wii virtual console so I just save like I just saved my spot and had to keep going back and forth and yeah <laughs> I know that's the, that's the cool thing about the Castlevania games and you get to I, I did play I didn't know if we were going to be talking about Symphony of the Night exclusively or anything but that that was the one that basically that game blew my mind on, on a level that I think if there was a reason why I have the video game collection that I do now, the reason why I got into the games so heavy in the last two years was because of that game. hundred yeah, percent. For sure. Well, it's, you know, it's such an important game, but it's also interesting. You know, one thing I think is really interesting when we talk about the Castlevania series is there's like, some kind of interesting back and forth surrounding like symphony of the night. I think everybody agrees that it's like such a good game, you know, and it's like so amazing, but mm-hmm. it's also like the end of one part of the series, right? Like that whole first section of the series where they're all pretty traditional and kind of all branching off of that original NES Castlevania, you know, and it's the start of a new chapter of the series where all the games are very heavily based on Symphony of the Night. But a lot of people haven't played the games that come after Symphony of the Night because they're on handheld. And like, there were also just kind of a lot of them, you know? Like, and so I've talked to a lot of people, and even like, uh, you know, the 
one of the co-hosts who used to be on the show was always like, I never played those games because they're on Game Boy. And it's just like, man, you're kind of missing out on like the whole second half of the series, you know? Missing out on that, there's there's just so much that shows you how invested the creators of this game really were in right. the story development, the world building of of just even not even just Dracula's castle, but just like the Wallachia, Transylvania sort of I mean this this story of Castlevania goes back to like the fourteen hundreds. Like you're you're talking about centuries and centuries of the Belmont clan or some derivative of some family like fighting Dracula. Like the whole concept of Castlevania is based on Dracula being resurrected every 100 years. Right. So there's, there's always a reason to have a Castlevania game too. Like, so whether it's, it's Trevor Belmont or if it's Soma Cruz or whoever and Aria Sara, right. you're like, like there, Castlevania can exist seemingly as long as Dracula can. Because that was the thing that I learned was once I got into Symphony of the Night, I was like, wait, so there's a Castlevania 2 and a Castlevania 3 and a Castlevania 4? Uh-huh. And then you find out, and then there's like Rondo of Blood? Yeah. And like Japan? Like how do I, put, like all of a sudden I'm digging on the internet. Like obviously I got emulators and stuff. That's how I ended up playing all the Game Boy Advance games and the DS games were, well... Emulation. I'm not gonna, you know, take me to jail. I, uh, <laughs> it's kind of the only way now. I mean, with that stuff, because like those, you know, none of those companies have preserved those games well. We haven't gotten a lot of like collections or anything of you know handheld games, which is really sad. Because like I, the Game Boy Advance, I loved. It's one of my favorite consoles, and the DS, I also thought was great, and. There's just so many cool games on there that I would love it if I could just play them on my Switch, you know? Like, that would just be amazing. Well, they I know that they've... I've got a Wii U, um, mm-hmm. and there's no Castlevania games on that, but I've got the... It's got a virtual console. Right. And so you can go back and you can buy those Game Boy Advance games and play it on, like, the little handheld Wii thing, but... Oh, that's cool. I don't... Being able to play it in, like, original hardware, some of that stuff's pretty... Like, it's important to me to be able to do that, but... I mean, I think that was like the kind of the rude awakening I got getting into retro games in the first place. And just, I don't know, it seemed to all happen at once. It was the same kind of idea when I got into collecting vinyl records. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seemed like, like I remember being in college and going and buy a Sega Genesis game. And you're like, spend five or $10 and like no one cared about it. Right. And then by the time I really wanted to get serious and get all these older games like Castlevania Bloodlines as an example, yeah. just sticking with the theme, it's like, wait, so you're telling me that I have to spend more money now than I would have paid when it was new uh-huh. in the store? <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, what? For just the cartridge? And yeah. the, like the the stickers all jacked up? Like you're telling me that you want to, like, so the whole thing just gets murky at that point in time because I mean I've never actually I've only seen a copy of Symphony of the Night on PlayStation like in person once. Sure. Like I saw the PlayStation case and I was like holy shit there it is. It yeah. Like, holy grail. Like I felt like Indiana Jones like coming and like <gasps> like whoa man I chose wisely but it was like $130. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I've got a copy of it on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> like I bought it for $2. Like, 
I could play it on my cell phone, like when I'm at lunch break, and I don't know. It's- yeah, that aspect of it is always very frustrating, especially I think with a series like Castlevania, where it's owned by a really shitty company. And it's also a series that's really diffuse. Like it's over a bunch of different uh, consoles and platforms and it spans many, many years. Like you're just always kind of left frustrated. Like I feel like I, so I got back into playing video games probably in like 2015, but I didn't Mm -hmm. for like many years before that. Like it was pretty much a solid decade where I just like didn't really play video games that much. Um, and it was funny because like getting back into it, I was like, oh, I bet at first I started playing on PC. So I was like, I bet everything's on Steam. I bet like whatever game I can think of is on Steam. And I look and it's like, oh, it's not actually like, you know, no. Symphony of the Night is not on Steam. You can't just jump on there and buy Symphony of the Night, which is like completely fucking insane to me. But it's like, what? And then when I got a switch, it was the same deal because like the Wii U got a lot of like re-releases of stuff and I didn't have one of those, but then the switch came out and I was like, Oh, well they're going to bring over all the Zelda games. They're going to bring over all these games I've been wanting to play. So, you know, I'll get one of these. And I did. And there's been like nothing so far. They've released the worst 3d Zelda game and it costs $60 and it's like fucking what? Like, so (laughs) that shit just gets really frustrating. You know, it's like with Castlevania, it's like, why isn't there just a, a pack of the GBA games that I can just buy on my switch or buy on steam and just play them. Like, cause I'll pay for it. Like as long as it's not right. overpriced, I bought symphony of the night on PS4 just to, I wanted to play it on my TV on that couch. I spent $20 for no reason beyond like I wanted to sit on a particular couch. So it's like, <laughs> I'll do it, but it's just gotta be there, you know, and it's gotta sure. work. Yeah. Well, and then I, I have a PlayStation four that is, yeah just sitting under my desk um i haven't plugged it in probably since april because i've got kind of a i don't know it's like uh i'm gonna let it sit for a little bit but yeah i even then knowing that the castlevania requiem with the rondo blood package on ps4 i I don't want to play that because i've i want to play like the original versions of it yeah like I remember playing the the PSP Dracula X Chronicles and like the 2.5D recreation of Rondo of Blood which apparently was like the first chance anybody in America who didn't import it back in the 90s like and I the way that they I don't know like I it connected with me in such a way that even then like I have a hard time even I don't know what am I trying to say I want to play the original yeah. version of it they changed, they like fudged it up. Like they changed the dialogue and they changed some of the music and you're like, why, why, what was wrong with this in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. That stuff gets really weird because like I'm of two minds about it. Cause on the one hand, if it's just a game that's like fun to play, then it's like, well, I just want to play the game. And that's really all I care about. You know? So like that re-release on PS4 has the different voice acting for symphony of the night, um, which is, it's bad objectively because the original is really funny and I love it, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't really change the game and the cutscenes sure. don't make much of a difference. You know, I kind of felt like when they re-released all the old Squaresoft stuff on phones, um, like I actually bought a bunch of those. So like I have like Chrono Trigger on my phone and I have like Final Fantasy seven on my phone and like, 
they changed all the menus and fonts because they have to use touch controls. Uh, and I thought it was fine on that platform, but then like when they they actually re-released those versions on the Switch, and so people started playing them and they're like, why are the fonts all fucking weird? Why are the menus all weird? And it's like, yeah, like that that's a thing that doesn't technically change the game, but it does look like shit and it kind of like takes you out of the game. So I could see someone just being like, I've never played the game or I just really want to replay the game. I don't care. But at the same time, it's like, oh, that kind of stuff does suck. Because it's also just a weird thing of like, why did you do this? Like, Yeah, it doesn't seem that, especially with those... This, this old software doesn't really seem to, like, how hard would it be to port the original game? Like, especially on something as powerful as, like, the Switch or the PlayStation 4. Like, what benefit are you adding? Is it just to keep it fresh? Or, I, I don't understand that stuff, I guess, myself. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these companies just suck now (laughs) and like the people who are making these decisions didn't work on the original games or are just trying to appease like whatever the board of directors at their company and so there just isn't a lot of care put into the projects which is sad because that's you know you end up with something that doesn't it was made by someone who just didn't really care or who doesn't have the love you know for the the older games so but at, at the same time for me it's just like on a base level, I just want this stuff out there and preserved so that you can play it on modern consoles because it's really easy for stuff to slip through the cracks. And like, sure, yeah, like that. Let's say I'm going to keep coming back to those those GBA Castlevanias. I love those games so much. They're some of my favorite games ever, and it's so frustrating how few people have played them, especially after Bloodstained came out, like the spiritual successor that Koji Garashi made, and. A lot of people played it and were like, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. And they're all listing features that were like in the GBA games. And it's like, Order oh. of Ecclesia, like with the the villager missions and the yeah. food collecting, like the recipes. Yeah. Like I, I, I just, I'm playing Order of Ecclesia now. Mm-hmm. It's the, like the last one other than like the 3D Castlevanias that I've played. Um, yeah. It's like the last of the Game Boy games. And it's funny because I just, I, I have Bloodstain on the, PS4. The only reason why like I have one is because my computer sucks and PS4 is the only place I could play Bloodstain. Like right. I wanted to so bad. And so yeah, it's funny with 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 the Ega coming and, and you just I don't know, he's got such a very specific way that he does things. So like, yeah, not having that context from those Game Boy games, you're wondering, it's like it's not that original. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day. Like this has already been done. Yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. No, it's it's super crazy. Like yeah, it it made me feel insane, honestly. Like reading people talking about it, reading reviews and it's like oh. cuz even if someone had just played yeah, even if they had just played like Aria of Sorrow and Order of Ecclesia, they would have like seen all of these different ideas that were in the games and that's what I mean one of the coolest things to me about Koji Garashi is that he really did have like a vision for the series and like all these different things that he wanted to try with the series and like not all the games are like the best game in the series but you know the ideas in there are like super solid and it's really fascinating to see him like explore the different ideas throughout the games that he like directed or produced well and just kind of keeping you in the world too because I mean Going back and playing Order Order of Ecclesia, and then like last night, I I put on Symphony of the Night 
uh, just to sort of get my head into the game a little bit, right. so to speak. And just the reusing of the sprites, like the kind of like like it's the continuity. It's kind of funny to think that you've got spear guards in a game from like when when was Ecclesia like. I'm going to look it up here real quick. It's late 2000s. Yeah, I want to say 2008 or something yeah. crazy like that. Like, um, And then seeing the spear guards in, in the original, like Rondo of Blood. Right. And you're like, why the hell are these things still hanging around Dracula's castle? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's kind of funny like how, how he recycles those things, almost repurposes them in, in a sense. Like it, you could kind of look at his cheap... But then, you, then there's enough innovation on his end of like the storytelling, like mm-hmm. Shinoa or Soma Cruz, like Jonathan Morris, and you know, like in Portrait of Rune, right? Like he, you're not just working with Belmonts here at the end of the day. Like they bring back Eric Lacard in uh, in Portrait of Rune, like from Blood Bloodlines, like they throw back to him, like it's. So he he does a good job of keeping the world self-contained. I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the thing about Castlevania that's interesting, and I think it shaped a lot of like how I look at video games. Um, because like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of just like traditional narrative in video games. Like I just like it when a game has like a great aesthetic and a great vibe. And like, as you move through the game, it communicates ideas to you, like without cutscenes, you know? And I think a big reason that I hold that opinion is because of the Castlevania series, because like, you know, they have little cutscenes and stuff, you know, but they're all so throwaway that like the big difference between the games is like the, the aesthetic, the presentation, you know, and, and the different ways that it approaches, like basically doing the same thing in every game, because every game does at a basic level, do exactly the same thing. You go to a castle, you explore the castle, you know, that's it. Um, but I just think it's so interesting how they approach it in different ways. And that's why, like, I think I have that opinion of games overall where it's like, oh, well, like Castlevania shows you this whole world without having to stop and tell you everybody's backstory and give you the lore on every single enemy and whatever. Like, I think there's a lot of like power in the mystery there, you know, like I said in the last episode, one of my favorite things is when you like whack a dude and then like his name pops up on screen and like, <laughs> Even that's just great storytelling because, like, sometimes those are really funny or those are really weird, and you're like, "Who the fuck is that guy?" You know? What, what was it? The uh, Bugga Bugga Bear or something that was an enemy that that's in the Order of Ecclesia. It's like in Dracula's castle, like when you finally get there. Yeah, it's like a peeping eye with like electrodes attached to it, and it's yeah. called like Bugga Bear. Yeah, <laughs> like what the hell is that all about? Like, and that's well, you know, I took some notes last night actually to kind of okay, nice. Like, I, I, I know you're. This is how much I like Castlevania. Oh, dude, I'm One, I'm right there with you. So what what I love when you did get to Symphony of the Night forward, in a sense, was then the castle and the enemies and the story became a part of the experience more so. I mean, it was really cool to go back and play like Simon's Quest and Dracula's Curse, you mm-hmm. know, even Bloodlines. And there's very, they got the opening credits. You know, they kind of treat it really cinematically, which I really like that about 
Castlevania in general is just like all the throwback to the horror movie aesthetic. And when you get to Symphony of the Night, this is the first time outside of a manual you do see those character names. You get to see how much damage you're doing. You're building a character. You're not just collecting like whip power ups and, you know, closing your eyes and throwing holy water and hoping for the best. Like at a certain point, then you're, you've got a character like Alucard who is from Dracula's curse. All of a sudden, he's not just someone tagging along with Trevor. He's like, I'm Dracula's son and I'm here to stop my dad from like fucking up the world. And like right. it becomes this huge deal, like interactions with death. Like it, it, what I loved about it the first time I played, you kind of started to try to think about what it would be like to actually be a la carte in a way. Like, the, how, how, like you're in that castle for hours and hours and hours. Just you, maybe a familiar, which is awesome too. Right, like a sword to follow you around, like that's that's so cool. Yeah, and um, just it it expanded the the premise of the game, like which was already cool. I I love the horror movie aesthetic. I love it. It's real dark, kind of got a little heavy metal feel to it. Mm -hmm. And what you're what you you said it best was like when you play other video games. And then after you play that one, it's like you think about it very differently. It's yeah. like when I listen to like hip hop or I listen to like heavy metal, mm -hmm. and then I go listen to like the Ramones. Yeah. It isn't that the Ramones are shitty, it just <laughs> doesn't sound like Mastodon. Yeah. You know, like it just, there's something about Castlevania and especially Symphony of the Night in particular. That has a, just a whole environment aesthetic to it that no other video game that I've ever played like has, or even you know, even with the derivative Game Boy games and the Bloodstain, yeah, it just doesn't match that particular game. Yeah, it's a big shift aesthetically for the series. Like, I think that's one thing because people associate the series so much now with Symphony of the Night that they kind of forget that before that it did have a pretty different aesthetic and like mm -hmm. the first game explicitly has this like old Hollywood universal monsters kind of theme to it you know because it's like well there's Dracula and there's also the Wolfman and like there's all this kind of stuff like it has a little bit of that aesthetic to it even going so far as like the end credits kind of like explicitly reference that and they're supposed to be like the end credits for like an old movie you know mm -hmm. and like the next few games in the series get more and more into this somewhat like medieval fantasy kind of vibe it's like combining the original game's aesthetic with this dark fantasy medieval fantasy um feel and then symphony of the night takes it totally into this like much more dark and ornate you know like you said like heavy metal meets like high gothic thing yeah absolutely this and that's weird the victorian castle like yeah that's the whole rest of the series like they don't ever shift back from that you know um and i think that's super interesting because yeah it does give it a really strong vibe like the games are always atmospheric they had really strong color choices and cool art but like symphony of the night it's like something totally different and it's way more atmospheric well and then you're talking about playstation versus like a super nintendo right 
You know, like, and then you're talking about the ability to render 3D polygons and also, like, I mean, that was kind of when you, when you read about it, you could read about it on Wikipedia, but they were like, yeah, the, well, like, I didn't ever, I had a PlayStation growing up. I never even heard of the game until oh, okay. I was like much, I had no idea it even existed, which is crazy because apparently it didn't sell well when it like came out. Like, that was the big story about it, like, because of the 3D games at the time. Like, I remember Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, for the PlayStation, you know what I mean? Like I played some WCW wrestling games, Metal Gear Solid. I knew about Konami, right? But, but not that game. And then you look back at it; it's like the PlayStation itself had the ability to just so many different layer background layers. So like the C, like the CD audio, like the sound effects, just just the the size of that castle man you spend so much time in there and there's all these like I was playing it last night and then you kind of forget about this like the little details that come in it like like there's that room um, in the royal chapel that's like a confessional booth yeah and you just sit and then the music changes and it's fucking creepy yeah like it's really unnerving music and you sit down in the chair like you can sit in chairs Mm-hmm. Like Alucard just like crosses his legs, and then like these ghosts come, and like two of them want to kill you. Two of them like one of them's like your mom, and she's crying. Like yeah, it's like I, I don't know, man. Kind of getting scatterbrained about the whole thing, but it just didn't think it was possible for a video game to to kind of have that much depth and and right. still be able to play really well. Yeah, because it is just a really fun action game. Like, the combat is really good, and it has a lot of depth. Uh, Traversing the castle is really fun. You know, I just love running around the castle making loops. Like, it's just so fun. Um, But yeah, it's got all this depth to it, and it's got this whole, like, aesthetic and this kind of storytelling thing it does that I I love. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. I think it's it's interesting too to talk about it in the context of horror video games um, because it to me was really the first time that you saw something like what you're talking about where a game in this style went out of its way to include stuff that isn't like you know it's optional it isn't necessary for the game but it's really weird and creepy and contributes to that like horror vibe more than just saying oh like the enemies are all skeletons and vampires and shit like that it's like there's stuff in here that's super creepy and like the whole second part of the game which is like when you go to the inverted castle is super creepy like it's just unsettling there's something weird about it just the fact that it's upside down yeah in a weird way like I honestly wanted the first time I made it to the inverted castle even when I found out that it happened I, I honestly didn't even really think that it was like a real part of the game like it didn't there was something about it yeah that didn't seem like it was supposed to happen yeah like now I've accepted it as like after playing it through a ton of times like after a while but there's like the end of like the the bosses in particular in the inverted castle are crazy like the Grand Falloon and the Beelzebub and uh, yeah. Garamoth like the just monster nasty things yeah. in this, it's evil shit yeah. and when you go to like fight succubus mm-hmm. like in that in the when you're going out of the ta- like in the caverns yeah and it's like 
She's pretending to be your mom being burned on the stake and telling you to like kill all the humans. <laughs> yeah, that shit it's is like, crazy. It's, it's way... Yeah. You, you kind of forget about that because you do have this sort of, I don't know, as, a video, as video games are, like, it's not the first and it wouldn't be the last game that has this... I mean, I remember Resident Evil came out before these games and that was the first time I'd ever... You know, the Mortal Kombat before that was the first really violent games. Doom, yeah. Duke Nukem and stuff. Right. Adult-style games. But when you start getting into this pseudo-religious kind of... Like, I don't know, like not mythological, but mysticism. Right. In this creepy occult sort of area. Like, that's, that's where Castlevania succeeds to me. Because even back... In the earlier games too, there's just you're in dungeons, mm-hmm. and there's like magicians, and there's just like these. I mean, there's dead things walking. Right. Like you're, you're the first enemy that you encounter in Castlevania is a zombie. In ev- I think in every game, I think they do that in every game, except for Symphony of the Night. Really? Yeah, it's a it's a warg. Oh. Big big wolf. That's right. Oh, okay, okay. The the second enemy is, this is yeah. The second is the zombie, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because like we've been talking a lot. You know, when you talk about Castlevania, you talk about the influence that's had on modern games. Because like this series is is in my mind maybe the most influential game series, right? It's like this and Zelda. Um, and then I guess like Doom, you know, sure. like, I don't know. It's Big time, uh, you know, it's like you can pick out a handful, maybe I guess like Street Fighter, like there, there's a little handful of series you could pull where it's like they, their design ideas just bled out into like everything else that's even remotely similar. But like when you look at the game landscape right now, it's crazy how influential Castlevania has been because like Castlevania in big picture, it creates this like Metroidvania genre, right? And like yep. now the loop is really closing because like Castlevania heavily influenced like Dark Souls and that whole series. Those combined with the 2D Metroidvania games have made that whole style really popular. And so now you're getting big 3D action adventure games made by huge companies that are essentially metroidvanias like games like control or like that star wars game that came out or like any of that shit and so it's like holy shit you can trace a line straight back to symphony of the night with like all of those games but then even just talking about these storytelling tactics like which i hadn't really thought of until just now it's like oh man that's also been hugely influential because like if you play like modern horror games, like doesn't matter if it's like mainstream stuff or indie stuff or whatever, like if it's high production value, like it's in 3d has nice graphics animation, whatever, like they do all the shit that's in symphony of the night. You know, they do creepy dream sequences. They do weird religious stuff. They do unsettling like time and space things, like just flipping rooms upside down for no reason or whatever. And it's like, Oh yeah. Symphony of the night literally did all that shit. Symphony of the night is like psychedelic horror, basically. (laughs) Which is crazy. Like, I didn't really think about that until until just now, you know? That's kind of a cool way to think about it. Yeah. Like it, it has a it does it doesn't kind of get in your brain a little bit. Like the way that when I was a kid I'd see something that I didn't think I was supposed to see. Right. Like a whole like you'd you'd come in the room, you'd like sneak in and see your parents like watching a horror movie. 
uh-huh. TV. Like Hellraiser is yeah. a movie that that I can sort of that had this. I mean, Hellraiser scared the shit out of me. It was like one of the only horror movies that I ever like. I won't watch again. It's just, be, but it's scary. And you know what? There's actually I've talked to a lot of adults who've had that same experience. They're like, I'll watch the scariest, most fucked up shit. It doesn't matter. I can't do hellraiser because it traumatized me so bad hell hellraiser is horrible yeah but and but for what it's worth hellraiser and like symphony of the night and even i would say getting into and from castlevania forward i guess at that point like that was the kind of unsettling like some of the a lot of the creatures even going and playing this order of ecclesia there's just i don't know just like think you're it's like you're in a prison and you right. get caught by a spotlight and this just like demon head comes out of nowhere and it just starts puking like acid on you and like you're like <laughs> like it's just the look of these things it's just not um it's out of this world kind of stuff it right. would be fa- it's like very fantasy but it gets you in that yeah in a nightmare sense like you said psychedelic like it is it real is it not like Am, like, am I going the right way? As I flip upside down, like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Like, then all of a sudden, Alucard's a bat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're like, what? I don't know. I, I really love that about it. I mean, I like that in my music. I like that in art. Mm-hmm. I like seeing that in movies. I mean, one of the craziest movies I saw recently was like Mandy. Oh, yeah. Um, with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. I watched it because of the visuals. I like, it reminds me a lot of the Terry Gilliam movies. Um, yeah. There, you don't know what's real and what's not real. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that part about Castlevania has this sort of realistic element to it where you're in this village right. talking to people and there's cats running around and there's kids and there's food. And then all of a sudden you've got like, you're absorbing this like glyph into your back that you manifest like hammers yeah. out of thin air. Like, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, could, like, seems like it could happen but it, it obviously can't but yeah for sure now there there's like a big tension in the in the game between like how grounded some of its aesthetic is with like how over the top and ridiculous it is and that's like that's just my favorite shit yeah mandy i mean mandy's a great thing to bring up because like mandy's like that 100 percent, right like mandy's kind of like dirty and real like earthy you know, like they show, mm-hmm. you, you know, he's like this guy who lives in the woods. They show you how he makes his weapon and like all this different kind of shit. Like they're very into this, like, you know, kind of like daily grind minutia of his existence. But then he goes to like exact his revenge and he's fighting these like crazy fantasy creatures, basically. And the lighting yeah, and the in, visuals are insane. inhuman. Yeah. 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 Well, that's uh, what I wanted to kind of touch back on just because I didn't know I kind of got off it's like you keep talking about uh all these modern games and all these all these influences like I was kind of wondering like as I'm not a guy who gets gets out there very often uh uh-huh. like what 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 would you recommend to get into like at this point that were you seeing like the heavy Castlevania influence well I think the so the big thing I've just gotten into this recently and everybody listening right now is probably rolling their fucking eyes because I just talk about it way too much now but I got into this Souls series right it's this company FromSoft they made this game called Dark Souls 
Uh, and then there's like a whole series from there. You know, there's Dark Souls 1 through 3. There's Bloodborne. Um, and there's another one called Sekiro. And there's another game called Demon Souls. But uh, I played Bloodborne. And we talked about it on the show. And actually, I had my friend Michelle talk to me both about Bloodborne and Symphony of the Night. Because like she's the one who got me to play Bloodborne. And when I was like halfway through that game, I was like, this is like the exceptional a plus amazing 3d Castlevania game that Konami never made, you know, like another company went and made a game that I think is so heavily influenced by like those kind of Iga Castlevania games that sure it's, it's undeniable, but it's like the whole thing with the game is that it's super fucking hard. They don't tell you anything. You have to figure you either have to look everything up or figure it out for yourself. So like, if you're ready for that kind of experience, which I think you would be based on how much of the old Castlevania games you've played, you know, like it's so good. Bloodborne is just insane. It's like one of the best games I've ever played, but yeah, it's um, 20 bucks on the PlayStation store right now. Worth it, dude. So worth I, it. Maybe I'll dig that, that fucker out underneath my desk, <laughs> dust it off. It's yeah. Three, three hours of updates, but yeah. And it definitely doesn't crash like, uh, blood stained. <laughs> oh, did that, did, did that happen to you? No, but you were telling me that. Oh yeah. I, I, man, that was the worst. Yeah. Like he only gets, cause that's, that's what I noticed too. Like symphony of the night is similar. Like you don't know what the hell to do. You've got this map, but like, there's not really any guidance on what you're. They get up, you play it about fifty times, like I have. It becomes incredibly linear in a sense, like you know exactly what items where to go. Right. Like it, it kind of goes back to that classic style where it's just almost level based, except you can go backwards, and so it's kind of kind of cool to kind of want to dig into something that's more challenging. But I I remember something about Symphony of the Night. There are save rooms everywhere. Yeah. Like you can, like any time you enter a new area, there's a save room. Yeah. And I love that about Symphony of the Night and coming back and playing Order of Ecclesia where there's four save rooms in a whole, like there may be one in the in like a whole, like one of your little sections and you're just like, holy shit. So like, yeah, when here I am playing this modern console thinking that I'm, I'm like, man, I'm really like with the people now. Like look at that. <laughs> I played a game that like, that isn't 30 years old. And then, like, you can't get to a save room, and you gotta like play for another hour to get back to where you were. So yeah, it's good to know. It's good to know that Bloodborne is reliable, at least. Yeah, and it the design. Is, so, the thing about those Souls games that they keep going back and forth on throughout the series is like, do they give you a bunch of save points, or do they give you no save points? Bloodborne's like right in the middle of the series, where like I think you get enough, but there's some long treks you know and like mm-hmm. those games are set up so that you die a lot and you just die a lot and like rerun areas as you play but uh dark souls 3 is actually a really good place to start also if you've okay. never played one of these because like and and that's also on ps4 but uh dark souls 3 is a lot more generous with the save points it's a lot more like reasonable of a game than anything else in the series and it definitely feels more like symphony of the night i mean yeah, like I'd say a big difference between a lot of modern games that are influenced by Castlevania and Symphony of the Night or like Aria of Sorrow is that I feel like the goal of Aria of Sorrow, Symphony of the Night type game is to eventually get your like play speed really high. 
so that you're warping mm. around everywhere. You're running around everywhere. You're just like tearing ass through this castle. <laughs> and like none of these modern games are really like that. Like, okay. Th- you know, on the 2D side, there are some really good, like, modern Castlevania-type games. Like, um, Hollow Knight is one. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to play that. Yeah, that's a good game. I like that game. Um, same with uh, Blasphemous. That's another one that... I've, I've, I've seen that one, too. Yeah, that one is mostly worth it for just, like, the boss designs. Like, they're just... They're all insane. They're so fucking insane, and it's cool. But, like... Those games are very clunky in certain ways. Like, yeah, you're expected to do a lot of slow traversal, a lot of platforming. They get really frustrating in that regard. So that's like, like Hollow Knight, I played a bunch of, but I never beat because I was just like, this is, uh, this is not worth my time. Blasphemous, I did beat, but by the time I got to the end of it, I was kind of like pissed at it. You know, <laughs> you know? Um, it's a, have you ever yeah. played a Guacamelee was, one of the metroidvanias that i played recently that um i found myself i like i don't want to play it again yeah uh i like, haven't played that game but i've heard of that game it's fun but it you know what it, what it ends up focusing on is those items or those skills that you have to learn to progress in the game and then it gets super heavy on that i mean then guacamelee is a lot different because there's a lot of button combinations like the way you control your character is a lot of like button mashing and like combos in the combat sure but but it's it's really awesome because you you know you discover all these new areas there's all these secret rooms and the graphics are beautiful i mean it's got a nice like luchador mexican theme to it and the music is awesome like the whole vibe of the game is great the colors it's a cool game just to look at but yeah you get into that kind of stuff these derivative metroidvania games which i think are awesome because there's more and more of those coming out Right. Uh, it's a lot easier to find games like that, but man, do they get like there's you just don't even it gets like I haven't played Guacamelee since maybe the fall. I don't even think I'd remember how to play it. Yeah. Like I like it's not intuitive at all. Or right. then you get a game like I played this game on a Steam called Time Spinners. Oh, which is that's which is pr- Time Spinners is a pretty close, uh, like a. About as, well, I'm a, not as pretty close to about Castlevania as you can get. Like okay. as far as like, it's pretty similar, like in the the map system and in the power ups and you know you got little side quests and things you have to do. And I found that one to be kind of underwhelming. Yeah. So it's like one extreme to the next. Like it, time spinners was almost too easy to beat. Yeah. And then it wasn't enough depth. And then you had Guacamelee where you're just like. I'm a completionist. Like I want 100%. I want to collect all the items. I want to do all the map. I want to find all the secrets. And I'm just like, I don't even give a fuck. Like I beat the game. I didn't even get the good ending. I haven't contemplated since. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. Yeah, you know, I think there's there's a lot of game balancing that goes into a Castlevania game that I don't think I've seen a spiritual successor nail.
in the way that like the egovania games do like yeah like there's Mm -hmm. i mean there's tons of these games and a lot of them are great um and like i i've i haven't played a ton of them you know because i'm usually just like i can go back and play one of the older ones i like uh again but like yeah it's it's so interesting to think about that like with castlevania so like this this is a good thing to talk about actually i'd like to talk to you about this um one thing i brought up in the last episode was like I think map design is a huge um, part of what makes the Castlevania game so great. Like, I think sure. that even like the, you know, maybe a Castlevania game that you don't love, if it's like a good game still, it'll have a good map. And to me, a good map is one that, like I said, it's, it's like accessible to get around and it's really fun to like move around the map and it's laid out in a way that's sensible so that like you learn your way around it just naturally by playing the game. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know if you've experienced this with these spiritual successors, but I feel like a lot of them don't have that design. They just feel like stages that are all clumped on top of each other. Yeah. And I, especially in like a time spinners or even, well, I guess Time Spinner and Guacamelee are really the two examples that I have because I mean I have a Wii U and I have Steam in my computer so like I don't have like Hollow Knight's a game I don't have access to so it's but I played a even game a game called Axiom Verge too oh, yeah. which is it's kind of taken more of the Metroid thing but yeah that's kind of how it feels it's like it's arbitrary mm-hmm. in the way that things are blocked off and like there's a lot of backtracking yeah and just real slow. I mean that that kind of happens in like I think uh harmony of dissonance is a good example of like getting really fucking bored running around that game. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that one I like what they're trying to do but yeah I I think you're right if you're you're not able to move around quick enough if you don't have like like how many times have I played Aria Sorrow and forgot like what I was supposed to do next? And just right. get stuck, which I kind of like. It kind of makes you want to come back, but then if, if that happens too much in a game, you just get like you just don't even want to play anymore. Like it's you're yeah. like okay, I get it, but I I'm like I don't want to. I don't know. Like I want to play a game. I want to have fun. Like yeah. at a certain point, the puzzle aspect of it, running around the map, getting bored, having to backtrack to find. Like a key, like Circle of the Moon was a good example of a game that I want to like because yeah. I thought, how cool is it to have a tiny little Symphony of the Night on your Game Boy and a castle's huge and there's a lot to do, a lot of cool, a lot of different areas, and then you run into like a statue and you have to like run, go all the way around the map to like find yeah. a switch like for the other side of the castle and there's no like when they put warp rooms in Symphony of the Night that was the smartest thing that they could have done like yeah Cir- dude circle okay circle of the moon is a weird game uh i so i like that game a lot probably mostly for nostalgia reasons sure. um but like Circle of the Moon is the one GBA Castlevania that i'm like i get why people don't like this cuz it is punishing and it's brutal and it's not really in a good way. It's like it's like a Symphony of the Night style game where they remove all of the conveniences and like right. all the things that make the game really like um inviting. And so it's just pure punishment. So I I get what you're saying hundred percent, honestly, but 
I think that like with Harmony of Dissonance, for example, I think that they made the movement and the combat so much better in that game and like switching it to be a little bit more like Symphony of the Night. And they also like, I love the look of that game with the like crazy neon colors and shit. Um, It's kind of cool look. Yeah. Like I think that's the sort of thing that, rescues this style of game and if it lacks it then the games do become really boring but like if the movement is fun if the combat is fun if there's something that makes you want to just like grind and do the repetitive tasks in the game um, because they're fun then the game will succeed kind of in spite of whatever like limitations it has Um, sure but yeah like Circle of the Moon actually almost feels more like a lot of these modern uh, Metroidvania type games I've played because it does lack those conveniences. It does lean more into the like pure punishment thing of like, yeah, you're going to have to walk around the whole castle now or like you're going to have to fight a super hard boss with no weapons or anything like the first couple bosses in that game are fucking brutal because your character is basically just a potato with legs and like you're just yeah. in there getting fucking skewered. <laughs> Well, and that's 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 a cool. That's what I like about. I mean, I not that I want games to be easy all the time because I mean, hey, I'm I love Castlevania. Like yeah, that. yeah. Obviously, I'm not in it because I want to play Mario Brothers. But it's like, what it when when you can't even function, like yeah. all that grinding and all those extras are like worth getting when the basic gameplay allows like a sort of ease. Like you can relax a little bit mm-hmm. when you're trying to hide from the game in a save room. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't, like, you know, like a circle of the moon is completely random. At this point, anything that you need to be able to basically get through the game, mm-hmm. you're at the will of, of this random number generator in, in the programming to like right. spit it out for you. Yeah. And you're talking like health items. You're talking about weapons, like, your protection, like your your armor and like those that soul what that's not the soul system, it's like the DSS or whatever with yeah. the cards. Yeah. Like you can't play that game without luck. Right. And that to me turns it turns it off for me a little bit more. Like I, I would rather go back to like an RAF sorrow, which is far more balanced. Yeah. And a little a little more similar. Like it doesn't like you can find swords. Mm-hmm. Just running through the castle, you don't need to beat it out of like a Medusa head like fifty times running back and forth out of a room. Yeah, like you can still beat the game without taking ten hours to do it. Well, it's voluntary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think what makes Aria of Sorrow so good is that it basically takes a bunch of lessons that they already had learned from symphony of the night. And it kind of adds in some of the more popular than modern, like game tropes that had sort of like become common in design. And it makes something that's new, but that is flexible in the same way that symphony of the night was. Cause like, that's another really like enduring design thing that, um, I think Castlevania and specifically symphony of the night has really like influenced in modern game design is like the idea that if you let people play the game how they want to play and you let the game systems be flexible, people get way more into the game. So like, yeah, 
like Circle the Moon, if I'm remembering correctly, you just get a whip. Um, you're like kind of a classic Belmont type dude. Um, Harmony of Dissonance, I think you just get a sword. And then with Art of Sun. It's, or what was it's that? a whip. Is, is a, it a whip? You're, you're, a, okay. you're a Belmont in Dissonance. Okay, cool. So yeah, those two both kind of went back to that classic design style where it's like you get one weapon, you're a Belmont. But Aria of Sorrow goes back to Symphony of the Night where it's like, okay, you can pick up whatever weapon you want and equip it and they all have different movesets and animations and all that kind of stuff. And like, it is kind of a weird thing that they went away from that and came back because it's like, well, clearly that's the best, you know? (laughs) Like, (laughs) clearly that's the coolest shit. But they also do it with all the game systems too. So there's, you know, there's summons and there's leveling and there's like all this different stuff that you can do and it makes the game like super super fun because it has that open-endedness to it you know right yeah I, I like what you said about them learning their lesson a little bit more because it's like even the way that Soma Cruz is controlled like the way you can get around the castle mm-hmm. you just move so much faster yeah when you get sluggish like that and again you got I, I'm trying to take in the hardware in into account here like I, Circle of the Moon was a launch game for right. the Game Boy Advance like it was one of the first games so they were really it was almost like they were playing it safe mm-hmm. in a way like honestly it kind of made like some of those RPG elements kind of feel a little tacked on like the level in it. like it could have just been a straight up action game yeah where you just like went from one like it could have gone it could have I don't know I, if I think about it, it might have been more fun to play if they would have done it a little more linear style, like back to the old Castlevania styles. Just because even the way the game looked, it was really plain and drab, and you know, get some of the tunes stuck in your head every once in a while. But it was really like a lot of the same enemies fighting the same things over and over again. A lot of the rooms looked the same. Yeah, it's it's kind so, of a depressing game. Yeah, it's real dark. Like, I guess you do feel like you're in a shitty, like, evil dungeon, like yeah. in, a, in, in a castle. Like, it's a really, yeah, it's a melancholy place to be, which yeah. is good because all the, all those Castlevanias do a really good job of try, kind of playing with like your solid solitude, playing yeah. with the environment a lot more. And Arya's sorrow, yeah, it's got Soma Cruz has got this sort of, uh, I don't know, yeah, it's got the the heavy kind of anime Japan Japanese kind of cultural aspects yeah. in it too modernizes it a little bit because I mean even the art style changed inside right. the game like I mean you go back to Symphony of the Night and it's got that sort of gothic sort of I don't know best words to describe I think you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah um, just the paint, the way that the style of character, the character art, and the castle design changed. Right. It felt kind of fresh. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's just like I don't know. There, the other thing about Castlevania is like I think that all of these new ideas and new systems are actually good for the design. And so it is a little weird. Like when you go back to those first two Game Boy games, they're really stripped down and it is a bit odd because it's like a step backwards kind of from symphony of the night, but symphony of the night to me just proved that it's like, yeah, you can put whatever in these games. If it's well implemented, it actually like supports the game. And I think, you know, it's kind of like we were saying earlier with, with like bloodstained where 
uh, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, there's so much new stuff in here. And it's like, no, there's just a lot of stuff in there. You know, it's, they've done it's it before, so, but yeah. And it's a lot yeah. of the recycled stuff that he'd been doing for 10 years at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it just looks, yeah. Like you, you, I think you told me when we first talked about this, is it just like how it's shiny, super like shiny. Blood, <laughs> blood stain isn't necessarily better because it's a better game. It just kind of looks better than the other games do. If that makes any sense. Yeah, in a in a certain way, the art design isn't amazing. <laughs> yeah, I uh, when I played it, I was really hoping. I wanted to like it more than I did. I was honestly a little disappointed. Okay, especially since I was having so many technical issues with Bloodstain. I mean, at that point, I mean that was the height of my Castlevania mania. You know, like I had, Castlevania. <laughs> like I just Castlevania'd my whole like my, you know, I got a T-shirt. You know that kind of hell thing. yeah, but dude. Basically, I don't know. I I I feel like, and it's gonna probably sound a little dumb, but I kind of feel like Ega Ega got a little too Ega. Like it started counting on him doing things in a certain way that people weren't buying the game necessarily because it was going to end up being like a, a better experience or like a, like a maybe even evolving the sure. series a little bit. They're like, Oh, well this guy used to work on Castlevania. Now he doesn't <laughs> anymore. So he's gonna, yeah. it's gonna be good. Like I like the curse of the moon games more than I liked uh, ritual of the night. The 2D, have you played the 2D games? Yeah, yep, yeah. I thought that did a better job of complementing the Castlevania series and the original like love of that style of gaming than Bloodstained did. Bloodstained didn't do a lot for me to make mm. me feel like I was playing anything that it, it, it was it was a good good game, but I don't find myself thinking about it the way that I do like Dracula's Curse or Symphony of the Night or something, you know what I mean? Sure. It just didn't stick with me the same way. Like I, I, it was a good intention game. And I know that it was like a, I think it was like a Patreon or a Kickstarter game. Mm-hmm. So, and they did update it. There's a, like the last time I checked, they, they added like a 2D section of the game. Like they, they called classic mode and stuff. Like there's, there's some cool yeah. stuff in the game and cool skills that you learn. I need to check it out again because that sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, so like, I really like that game personally. I loved it. I had a lot of fun playing it. Um, but I do kind of see what you're saying where it's like, it was also like, we talked about, I think in the original episode, uh, episode we did, but like that whole Kickstarter was run by this weird company that was kind of like producing these Kickstarter type games using older figures from the Japanese game industry. And like some of them were disasters because it was literally just based on one guy's personality, you know, like, Oh, we got this guy. We're going to do the game. Sure. And like the thing about Iga is that he is a game designer and he is a director. So like he, you know, they were able to make a game that has really good game design and really good direction. But at the same time, yeah, like if you had been playing all these games and following this series, it definitely wasn't anything new. It was just nice to get a new Castlevania game. Um, that's 
that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And like it is fun, but it definitely has weaknesses. I mean, the lack of polish was frustrating because, you know, coming from these 2D games, even on the GBA and DS, which was like the last DS game was not like that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Like yeah. uh coming from those games where there were always polished to the point of like you never had to worry about like falling through the floor or something like that <laughs> to playing bloodstain it's a bit jarring because you're like oh and like there's even one boss that's on like this weird slightly curved like roundabout kind of stage that's like super glitchy and weird and shitty and it was Is just like dragons i think so i think that's what i'm thinking of um it was just so weird to experience that in a Castlevania type game um, when so many of the other things really had that classic feel, you know, cause like it's a great map. Um, it's the traversal is very fun. Like they really nailed all that stuff. Like I said that I think a lot of the spiritual successors don't nail. I think the difficulty right. is really good. Like the difficulty balance is really good and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's like you're saying the kind of game you're going to think about and like, you know, I'm not, I'm probably in 10 years, not going to do another thing. Like remember bloodstream, the best game ever, you know, like that's it, it's, it's, you know, cause I'm, you're, you're talking about it. It's like, I did, I did remember enjoying it when I was playing it. Like I did think those, like it, when you just said, it's good to have another Castlevania game. Yeah. But then that's at this point, it's just another game. It's a game on the pile. Yeah. Like it, the reason why I think I find myself shying away from like even modern games, like I, I'll take recommendations, like you say, Bloodborne or Dark Souls Three or something. To, yeah. Like I, I like hearing from other people. Um, like if someone tells me, "Man, you need to play this game," like I probably will try it out. Like right. I got into Breath and Breath of the Wild because. Like, that's why I bought a Wii U, because no. my buddy was yeah. like, that's the greatest video game ever made! <laughs> and I'm like, really? Yeah. Yes! And I'm like, alright, fine, I'll try it. Solid argument for that, honestly. That game is insanely good. I mean, I, I, I'm like, it's, I, it's like I don't even want to play it, because I just can't. Like, it's just too much. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I never, I'm like, literally, I've played like 50 hours, and I'm probably like 3% into the game. Like, yeah. I don't even know what to do anymore like it it's yeah. intimidating i definitely I, would not have finished the main quest if a global pandemic hadn't started <laughs> well see i was getting i got into the game around april oh sure <laughs> so like <laughs> oh bad time then all of a sudden the weather's getting nice again and i'm like yeah i guess i'm i can't sit in the basement all day anymore i guess i'm gonna have to wait a couple months so when it starts snowing again but yeah yeah right the, the whole the whole thing i was seeing coming back around was the one thing that I was happy to see was Castlevania Modern, you know, like a new incarnation of it. and getting ego. I mean, you can't say him not being a cult of personality isn't like a hindrance in a sense of the way that yeah. it shapes people's perspective of him and like sort of glosses over some of the flaws. Like Symphony of the Night's not a perfect game either. Right. And you're like, but the I think what I the aesthetic of that hand-drawn sort of 2D graphics of mm-hmm. those Game Boy eras, that old 2D PlayStation look, the one thing that keeps me away from modern games is the way that the graphics are drawn, the way that the games are presented. It 
takes me out of it a little bit. Like I, yeah, maybe I. It takes a while. Like I, I try to watch like TV at my dad's and like, like why are the, why are they moving so straight? Like the 4K kind of like oh, my dad's yeah. always got the new TV and all. And you're like, what the hell's wrong with your picture? Why is you can see their makeup, like yeah. you know, like there's something too pretty about it. Yeah, and I thought Bloodstain could have done, like they did the the pixel graphics, Curse of the Moon, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with modern games. Like I'm not, it's not like I don't want to play a good looking game. Right. But I think Bloodstain, as it maybe not even a gripe to keep me away from it, but it, it kind of tried I think it could have approached it differently and had a better like could have could have made the game feel a little more lasting could have made it a little more set in a different time and kind of reminded me of like the conversation Kirk Hammett and some kind of monster talking about like removing guitar solos purposely from St. Anger's like you take guitar solos out it like sets us to this time period yeah. it's like Bloodstain doesn't feel like a classic game it feels like a like a modern game trying to emulate the past. Like it feels nostalgic. It doesn't stick out yeah, as its own thing. It just sort of is a product of the time. That Well, see, that's really true. And that's one big weakness of the way that they did the game, which like I mentioned, it was like this company is like a production company whose job was to kind of set up these Kickstarter games and find funding, find a publisher And so because they did that, they weren't coming from a perspective of having a fully built up like core dev team. So they Mm -hmm. outsourced a lot of the development, right? And a lot of the like, you know, design work and even in some like grunt work programming stuff. So in order to have everything available and usable to all the different teams, they had to use Unreal Engine, I think is what they did. Um, Yeah, I think uh, so. And then they had to keep it in that like 3D graphics realm because that's where the majority of the people in the industry are going to uh, be like have their specialty in, right? Like, and so doing something that had hand drawn 2D graphics that had this like animation heavy thing, you would need a specialty team put together who are willing to do a lot of work on the game. And I think that was just kind of sad because yeah like i do view that as a core component of castlevania and like when i played you know bloodstained you like the first thing i had to do was just be like okay like put that out of your mind like (laughs) if you're gonna enjoy this game you know and that's you know that's something i'm totally fine with doing you know it's like if you hear a band that's really awesome but the recordings sound like shit and not in a cool way like the recordings just sound like shit you're just like okay well Oh, it is what it is. You know, like I just, I can't sit here and be like, I wish they had gone to a studio. I wish they had done this and that and the other thing. You're just like, well, okay. The band's record sounds like shit. This band fucking rips though. I'm just going to deal with it. But yeah, if you start kind of getting to like, okay, what's the heart and soul of like Castlevania? It's like, well, yeah, it's not supposed to look like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like in a, in a kind of almost a contradictory way, when you say that it being not this like, corporate development team that would be like organized, you know, all the resources in the world. Like this was a Kickstarter game. So in a sense, it almost does give it a pass that it did end up the way that it did. And right. still played it played really good. Yeah. Like I thought the character, God, I can't I I remembered her name and now I don't remember her name, but the main character 
she controlled, like you could dart around the castle right. like really easily. And like, despite it looking kind of patched together, yeah, because it's like just who can we afford? Who can we, who has the time? How can we do this with what we've got? Like they didn't have Konami backing them up. Right. I think it was 505 games. Yeah. I think uh, Inti Creates or somebody, like it was, it was these just kind of smaller, I mean, big publishers, but not like Konami. Right. It's cool to talk to you about this because I, I rarely think about this aspect of it. I actually put the human side to yeah. the video game in itself because it's like the thing that, like I think I said it earlier, like kind of, like the whole thing coming together, the thing that I love about Castlevania is it just seemed like the human beings, the people working on Castlevania love fucking Castlevania. Yeah. And I love anyone, like I watch, like, you know, a lot of my game collection has grown because I'll watch like YouTube shows and I learn about all this stuff and the passion for video games in general and then listening to people talk about Castlevania. Yeah. And to listening to you talk about Castlevania and then other people having to listen to you talk about this Bloodborne driving people crazy. It's like, how many people who I talk to about Castlevania, they're like, I'm like, dude, seriously, this game is fucking amazing. It changed my life. Like, it's all I can think about. It, it ruins all other video games for me. Yeah. So it's nice, <laughs> it's, it's nice to, to, to kind of put it in a context of just, it it goes beyond what the game actually is, so you get a little sentimental about it. Like you can't blame people for praising Ega, yeah, because he brought us his his involvement in in the teams that he worked with, the people that were involved. I mean, just created a video game experience that just can't be duplicated. Obviously, not even by him, right? Like the love for Castlevania. And wanting games like Castlevania, how it's just shaped how people not making Castlevania games make their games like, oh, that's a good idea. We should have a map. Yeah. We should do that. We should have warp rooms. We should have power-ups that, you know, we should be able to level. Like, yeah. and Castlevania ripped off, like, especially when you get in Symphony of the Night, then you start talking, you know, it's like, well, I kind of wanted to make like a Legend of Zelda kind of game. And then you're like, Metroidvania, you still can't forget about Super Metroid. Right. You know? Yeah, I don't know, this this stuff is that's the cool part about it. It's like when you start really getting into the creative, artistic side of the games themselves. Like they people spent months and years of their lives to create this just experience. Yeah, like can never argue that video games aren't art. And I think the first time I ever really made that connection was with playing Symphony of the Night. And I looked at this, it's just like the music, the look of it, just even how the controls, like your yeah. computer programming going into these video games, like it's such a all-encompassing sort of artistic experience. Like you're immersed in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. No, for sure. And I mean, I think if there's two, I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, and I, I think that if there's two big things that I kind of take away from from that and just thinking about Castlevania, it's number one, Castlevania gotcha. to me 
is like one of the strongest aesthetic experiences I had with video games as a kid. And that was like before I would even use the term aesthetic or know how to use the term aesthetic. I was sure. playing that game and it was like, like you're saying, man, this game looks amazing. Every little animation is the coolest thing you've ever seen. The music is fucking just banging the whole time. Yeah. Like, you know, and so you're just in this like zone and you get into the zone with the game and it's like so, so, so good. And it took a long time for most other games to like get to that level of presentation. Like even from that generation, you think about games that, okay, they had really good graphics or they had really good music. They had a really cool world, but it's like, did it all come together like that? Probably not. Like there's a handful of games I think that do. And outside of that, it took a long time because it's also like, yeah, like art design is hard. And like, you know, doing like coming up with a visual aesthetic for your game is hard. And I think Castlevania hit it so early because they were coming from this years of experience, right? Like all these very seasoned, you know, creators who went to make this one game. That's kind of the culmination of this style and also bucking the trend of like, okay, we're not going to do a 3D game because we know we can do like such a good 2D game, you know, and like we can do a game that is like running at such a high level and performing at such a high level because we're doing it in this older style that's like now you look around at games and that's like everybody's trying to do that you know which is good because it's like yeah it's you're making art make it look cool jesus christ like what what's what's hard to understand about this you know but and i think the other thing too the big thing that castlevania i always give the most props to is like they really set the template for how you do a non-linear game right which is you know which is that like you give people choice and flexibility. You give the player tons of different options, but you also, you keep them on the path. Like there's a track you're going in one direction always, but you can take as many shortcuts, loop backs, tangents, as many things as you want, you know? And like, that's something that it took games forever to realize. And like the whole seventh gen, like the 360 PS3 is full of terrible open world games that have no direction and bad design. And it's like, just now in the last 10 years or, or less even like seven years we're kind of getting back to the like oh yeah symphony of the night did it right <laughs> like by the way have you guys played this game this is this is <laughs> if you want to be hired it's mandatory that you're able to get 200 percent in symphony of the night like that's it's <laughs> the only way i'm hiring you like you know that's because you your experience with uh the newer generations of games is like i i missed out on that mm-hmm. um i like i bought a wii like when it came out, but I, I swear I only played Wii Sports. Yeah. And like, Classic. I just, I, I don't think I've made it. Like, I play some of the, like, I've got the Wii U now, and I've got a couple of games on. Like, Breath of the Wild is a good example of a game that I think figured out how to do the open world correctly. Um, right. And some of the, the, I think Mario games do a really good job. Like, I play uh, Mario 3D World. Which is again level based, but I think they do a really good job of th- where the exploration makes sense, and you're in it, in it like enhances the game a little right. bit. Like we're finding secrets, and I always kind of just I know that's, that Castlevania wasn't the first game to like whip a wall and have a pork chop come out of it or anything like that. <laughs> but I, it's just I can't think of I don't think I've played enough video games personally. And maybe because I played Castlevania, they'll like even make the comparison. But I think you, you you said it. It just sort of took all these elements that sort of 
really smart decision making. Yeah. And the one thing that I I notice that's like when a game looks good, there's always something lacking. And you're right. Like especially Symphony of the Night, everything is on. Yeah. Like par. The sound, the look, like the fucking control. Yeah. The control of Alucard is nearly perfect. Yeah. It's a little I mean when you get all of those elements involved and you can get in and out of I mean there's so many little things you can do that you can learn along the way like little spells and moves and things like I just you don't get that in a lot of games and I and I see that in the modern consoles that's kind of why I've avoided a lot of these modern games just because mm-hmm. it's all flash and look and when you actually play the game it's like I don't want to play a movie I yeah. want to play a game I want to be the character so that's where maybe like a game like Breath of the Wild succeeds yeah. Because like you're playing as Link, it it remind like there's a sense of control. And even going back, like one of my favorite, like Castlevania Four on the Super Nintendo was my like one of my favorite ones to go back to, and that was one of the ones that I got into, like at the like the latest. Right. It was one of the last. Like when I finally realized what it actually was, like the control in a video game is so important to me. Mm-hmm. To be able to get your character where they're supposed to be, to do what you're supposed to fucking do to win the game like it just keep it simple yeah, yeah well it's, and it's interesting because like when i started doing this show i started talking about all of my ideas about game design and throwing out all these hot takes about what i think a good game is and it's so funny because yeah all of them go back to like oh my favorite castlevania games just did it first like <laughs> and they mm-hmm. did it right you know like control because it's like video games are ultimately a medium that is about interaction. Like that's the unique thing about video games. Um, And so the first thing you noticed is like, okay, what are the controls like? Like, how do I interact with the world? You know, or like, you know, like I was saying earlier, I like storytelling that is, you know, not super in your face and it's very environmental. And so that's like a thing you notice is like, do I just get to get in and start playing the game and the experience just starts? Or is there all this wind up and blah, blah, blah that I have to like, get through and yes yeah, it's, it's funny because like i do think that there was a period in time where games were not i've talked about this on the show uh i think there's a period in time where games suffered in terms of design because they went really far away from that and then in the last like i said i think like seven years we've kind of seen a return to those core ideas and those core concepts and that's why we have like a lot of great games now and yeah we get games like breath of the wild which is just such a good game because it's just like dude just get in there and play and you know even games that are more narrative heavy like they have long sections where they just let you do what you want and like they're so design focused that it it doesn't feel like you're just like playing a movie you know like you really are playing a game and it just has a lot of like presentation bells and whistles and stuff on top of that like solid core design but yeah like symphony of the night you know and, and a lot of like i said a lot of my favorite castlevania is like they are just that pure design that pure like fun awesome shit you know and you you with any good art or any good artist i think and this goes to music movies you know painting whatever right like you're they let the viewer the audience fill in the blanks Mm -hmm. i don't i don't necessarily want to have such a like complicated game that I need a tutorial every time and it is it, I mean it's cool that games kind of hold your hand in some sense but I also 
when you're kind of treated as if the programmer's smarter than you, uh huh, like you're not able, like that's 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 where like Castlevania succeeds is that the programmers give you the tools to make the game experience like like anybody could play it, right? At any level, like I mean, it's not always intuitive. I mean, especially with the puzzle elements, the like the searching and you know, you don't know what's like, oh man, I can't jump over that ledge. How the hell am I supposed to do that? Like, that's not for everybody, but like... Yeah. Yeah, when you start seeing games that start the game with teaching you how to play it, like, you lose me a little bit. Like, what Castlevania has always been able to do successfully, and maybe not even, like, maybe Ca- that's where Symphony of Night deviates a little bit, but the, especially the first... Oh, shit, man, how many we got... One, two, three on the NES, the Game Boy games. You have Rondo of Blood and the Castlevania Chronicles on the the Sharp, and the there's a lot of them. Bloodlines, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> Dracula X, Super Castlevania Four. Like every single one of those games, which ridiculous amount, had that first section of the game where you the game starts and it's just you, right. Maybe an enemy or two, but like you, the core mechanics of the game are already, it's simplistic enough, and that you're like, you got enough of the idea of why you're doing what you're doing to motivate you and it sort of immerse you into that character. And also, you're not trying to fucking figure out every button combination to be able to beat an enemy or like collect yeah. an item. Yeah. Like it's just, I don't want to read a manual all the time. Yeah. To be able to just get the game. Like, this isn't a flight simulator, you know what I mean? Like, you're <laughs> a dude with a whip killing monsters. Like, I just yeah. want to play the game. Pick it up. If I want to play it for 10 minutes, I want to play it for 10 hours. Yeah. Those are, those games like that succeed with me. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that's even like, there are, I mean, there are games that I like now that I had to overcome that because there's just, they are super complicated and it takes all this wind up and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, at heart, that's what I want. And it's just like, I want to play the, the game. <laughs> and like, I actually think, you know, with Symphony of the Night returning to it, and especially within that conversation of like, how does it compare to modern games and, you know, seeing the games that it's influenced in the modern day. Um, one thing about Symphony of the Night is like, it has moments where you need to look up what to do. Like you, there's yeah. moments where I think the reasonable expectation would be, you're going to need a guide to know what to do, but the vast majority of the game, and this is why the design in my opinion is so genius is really just like you get to an area and you see, you can't pass through. And so you say, okay, I'll go another way and I'll kind of note that down. Or even you can look on the map and see, oh, this room kind of terminates suddenly. So right. I can go back there. So then you go, you do your other shit and then suddenly, oh, I got the double jump. Oh, I got the mist. I got whatever. And then it's like, okay, well, let me go back to wherever I see on the map that I got stopped. And maybe I get on the first try. Maybe it's the third try. The point is that the game is set up so that that's like easy and it's fun to do. That's what I was referencing earlier, like running laps around the castle whenever you get a new item, like 
the fact that the game is set up that way means that for 90% of it, you don't actually need a guide. It sometimes kind of feels like you do because in modern games that are that obtuse, you totally need a guide and like you're just Googling shit on your phone and it can kind of take away from the fun of the game. But in Symphony of the Night, it's all set up so that it's just visual. It's just visual cues. It's like, oh yeah, like I see that. I know I'm going to have to come back here. I see this. Okay, I know I'm going to have to come back here. And like, that's actually really really smart design and very like simple like elegant design you know i love that shit yeah you got me sucked into it a little bit i was just picturing it because i just did that same exact thing yesterday i made it i got i played until i got the bat okay which at this point that's what i was you you're right it does it's so straightforward the game teaches you how to play it Right. You don't know exactly what the solution is going to be, but you know that the, what you are equipped with isn't like enough to be able to get the job done when right. you're doing it. Like it's it's really, man. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> really and not excited to, not about to, that. Yeah. No, I know. And not to keep like ragging on modern games either, because like I play and enjoy like lots of modern games, but I do think one thing that those older Castlevania games really nailed. Um, and I think pretty much any of the 2D Castlevania games, regardless of your opinion on them, like nail this element is like making the, like the way you acquire those new skills and abilities fun, you know? Cause like, I feel like so many people just played, you know, super Metroid or, or played, you know, symphony of the night. And it's like, okay, you can gate off parts of the game behind these, uh, ability barriers. And then, okay, that's game design, you know? And mm-hmm. it doesn't always work. Like there are certain games where you play it and it's it's in a way that doesn't really make sense or it's like not at all intuitive. So it's like you'll either get stuck in a place because you're like, it looks like I can do that. You know, like it's not like telegraphed to the player well enough or it's just like the way that you get the abilities is not intuitive. And so you end up wasting a lot of your time or you end up alternately just having to look up things at every single turn and i think that's actually pretty weak game design and that's something that i would say that like a lot of these modern metroidvania type games like don't do very well because it's like right the game doesn't yeah like we're saying the game doesn't need to hold the player's hand a dialogue box doesn't come up that says oh if you go beat this boss and get this item then you'll be able to pass but like I, there's such a big difference between the way that it's so like elegantly conveyed visually in a Castlevania game versus the way that it's kind of clunkily conveyed to the player in something like Blasphemous or Hollow Knight, you know, which are games that I do think you should play and like I would recommend sure. even to the listener. But it's just like you notice that shit if you go back and play Symphony of the Night, you're like, oh, this this is different. This is a big difference, you know. Well, that's that's one of when I told you I took notes. Yesterday, the first yeah. one of the first pages that I wrote was basically like, "This game is incredibly user friendly." Yeah, like it just—I don't know. When, when you were just talking right there, I was thinking about Axiom Verge, which yeah. I, I was a one—I think one guy programmed that entire game himself. Yeah, yeah I think which so. is really awesome. And it wasn't like it was a bad game at all. I mean, it—it it was fun to play through. It had a cool story. It was visually neat, like it had the 16-bit kind of look to it. Right. Um, but when you are just running around in circles, and it just it takes you out of the out of the out of the game. And I think about that game in particular of just so many times I got stuck 
And when you actually find out what the solution is, you're like, what? Yeah. Like it was like you'd almost ran past it so many times and you would have no idea that that was what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And I could think of games like that kind of felt like you're, they were like making it needlessly difficult because you're saying bad game design. It's like you're compensating for a lack of level design, a lack of map, a lack of control. Yeah. So like making games needlessly hard doesn't make a game better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's annoying when you die in Symphony of the Night and it takes you to the game over screen. Like, that's annoying. Right. But if you use one of the thousands of save points in the whole castle, like, you shouldn't be too far off of your progress. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Some, even going back to Order of Ecclesia, I've had to just turn that game off. I started using save states yeah. with it. Like, even fighting bosses because you're just like, Wait, so they just, they, it's like you're purposefully underpowered. You're purposefully yeah. lost. And you're like, man, this, this doesn't, like, again, I, I don't want to come off like I want everything to be, like, I'm willing to put the time in to figure things out. Like, I, I don't want to necessarily give up on, uh, I don't give up on a lot of games, but like, when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it really kind of, I don't know, I, I get distracted. And I was like, well, I'm going to go play drums or I'm going to like go out in the yard. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. I don't want to play the game. Yeah. I don't come back <laughs> to it. I go and I get on eBay and buy another game. Yeah. Know, like, <laughs> like oh mean, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's such a, a fine line. That's something that I noticed too. Like when I started playing games again, I started thinking about game design like, um, cause yeah, like, I mean, the, the big part of the reason I started doing the show was like when I started playing games again, it was like after having taken like a decade off and in the intervening decade, only having made art and worked in the music industry and like worked in, you know, things around the music industry, like sales and shipping products and all that kind of stuff. And like when I came back to like playing video games, I noticed that I would find myself thinking a lot about how they're designed and how they're made because I'm just like a person who makes shit. Mm -hmm. And like one of the very first things I noticed was like in horror games specifically, I was like, you know, death is something that I think a lot of designers sort of take for granted that it's like, okay, like you need a fail state. Um, there has to be death. So, okay, there's a fail state. There's death in the game. Um, but it actually can really, really grind things to a halt. And it can like really, really put you off of the game. And it gives you a convenient place where you're just like, oh yeah, I don't want to play this anymore. Um, and so it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, like Symphony of the Night does have a very traditional like fail state where it like kicks you to a game over screen. Great game over screen with that nonsense yeah. quote on it. It's like, let us go out this night or whatever. Um, the, whatever that monster or skeleton is. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But like the way that they get around it, like you're saying, is that like you have a lot of save points. You have a lot of opportunities to, you know, to save your game, you don't ever have to lose a lot of progress in an area where you are probably going to die. Like, you know, like facing a boss or in just like a hyper difficult little stretch of the game or, or something. And 
so that's one way to get around it and like with those souls games i was talking about like with bloodborne those games are super difficult and you die a lot but the way that they do it is that you just get resurrected automatically at your last save point um and then there's just like penalties for dying and so even though those games are really hard like what that does is it makes you want to keep playing the game and so like it it really made me think of castlevania immediately because it had that same feel where you're just like i'm just gonna keep playing i'm just gonna keep playing i'm just gonna keep playing and like to me that's a really smart piece of game design in any game that can give you that feeling because the game is just encouraging you to keep going rather than just being like you died it's over stop playing turn off the game you know sure yeah. Well, and that's where Castlevania succeeded from the beginning. Yeah. Like, Unlimited continues from the onset. You, right. you Wherever, whatever block you were in, whatever level you started in, like, I'm, I've got the picture in my head where you fall into the pit. I think it's like the fourth sure. level or whatever it would be, like after Frankenstein. But And that's where I was stuck for months and months and months and months. And... But you just kept coming to like, yes, I'm gonna continue. I gotta beat this. Yeah. I get I get so close. I so it, then you play games like I'm trying to think of another game that I I was just playing recently where you do get a game over. And even when you want to keep playing, getting to that prospect is kind of like I think Bloodlines does that to you, actually. Yeah. I mean, I know there's a password, but like you know, it's it's not that it, I don't think that game's as strong for me to want to keep coming back. So when I do sit down and play it, like I want to see how far I can get in one setting. Yeah. So that's kind of like the middle ground between like you're getting punished for playing the game, or like you know, like like a fair scenario, like where the game is punishing, but it's fair. Yeah. And that's where you want to kind of get like that's thoughtful. Yeah. That's like, those are designers that know how to, you know, in a weird, you want to put it in this context, but that's, that's where the company who makes the game, the people that work for the company know how to sell video games. Right. Because they want it. They're going to be able to make video games that people want to play. And yeah. they know that they have something that people are going to buy. Like, they're going to keep coming back to it and they're going to tell their friends, like, dude, you got to play this game. Yeah. Like, having that sort of... There's not like an addictive quality to it, but it's just that frustrating enough challenge that you don't want to give up. Like you're mad. You're like, ah, oh, damn it. Oh, I got it. You're like, all right, fine. I'll try again. Uh-huh. Like, you know, <laughs> like Meg will be upstairs. It's dinner time. I'm like, hold on one more, one more level. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's the magic of it. And it's, it's funny because like, I think before I got back into playing these Souls games, and that, which also made me want to replay these Castlevania games, like I hadn't been playing a lot of stuff like that. And then once you get back into that world of games, it's like all you want to play. Like yeah. I'm totally in a fucking K hole with these Souls games. And then playing, <laughs> I played Symphony Night again, and now I'm like, fuck, I'm going to go back and play just like every Castlevania game. Like, God damn it. I can feel it already. You know, it's just like, because <laughs> like I, I've been like kind of, trying out things like i've played them all before but just kind of in prep for these episodes like i was like okay i, I replayed symphony night all the way through again and then i went back and played some of the game boy ones again you know i played some of rondo of blood and like 
yeah, it was just like, oh man, these are just the best. Like they're just the best games. And that's like, that's the best feeling in my opinion with games. So you got to do it. You know, I, I, you, we're, we're kindred souls here. Cause that's because it was specially with Castlevania. It, it just makes every other game like you, I, I even asked, you could talk to Meg about this. I kind of talked to her because she's, she's had to deal with the brunt of my uh, Castlevania addiction. And she, uh, it's just, it's like, it doesn't fucking matter what <laughs> I'm playing. Like, I always, like, is, is there something wrong with me for wanting to just play Castlevania instead? Yeah. Like, I would, I would rather play Rondo of Blood than play, like, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog or like yeah. I'd rather play Castlevania four than like Madden or like, I'd rather like whatever, like any, any other game, like, like yeah. I've got a whole steam collection and the only game that I go, usually go back to play is the Castlevania anniversary collection. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I got 40 other games on there. Yeah. First person shooters, like turn-based strategy games, like, yeah, yeah. Different games, like a whole other variety of games, games that I actually like to play. Like, and I'm like, no, I got yeah. to beat Castlevania 4 again. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> one, one thing that's come up a lot in talking about both Souls games and talking about Castlevania games is that, like, everyone I've, I've been talking to about them is an artist. And, like, specifically talking to my friend Michelle about it, like, she's a super amazing animator. Um, and, like, we're kind of talking about how being an artist changes the way that you think about like other forms of art that you only consume, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. you know, neither of us makes video games, like we're both musicians, but the fact that we're musicians means that like when we approach this kind of art form, we're thinking about it in a certain way. And I think that the two things that these games really give you if you're that kind of person is number one, like that great aesthetic experience, which is always just going to like in like heighten the experience for you because you love art and you love aesthetics. But also there is that like feeling of completing something and getting somewhere. And the fact that it is also like heavily systems based and it makes you want to keep exploring and completing things and doing things like it really scratches an itch that sort of feels like when you're making something cool, you know, like it kind of puts you in that same frame of mind, I think. And I I realize now that that's partially why I do like these Souls games. That's why I do like Castlevania games, even though there's like a flip side to that, which is that sometimes when you really have to get shit done, it's just like, I can't do this right now. Like I just like have to take a break because otherwise I'm not going to finish doing all the shit I need to do for this art project, you know, like it's intense, but I do think that's definitely part of it. I, I I've tried to think as much as I could because yeah I as a musician myself like listening kind of focusing now even trying to pay attention to video game music in general right and how certain types of music can really change the way that you you look at the world like I I listen to a lot of music in my car and what I'm listening to in my car can really affect my driving experience. And that's about as close as I can think of as like being in a video game right. at that point in time. So I, I try when I come back and I actually try to write or like I'm like producing a song, like recording 
wise, like I've really tried to focus a lot, and this probably has a lot to do with when I started playing Symphony of Night because it's just only been in the last couple of years that I've really thought about this and getting into my own recording at home is how a song makes me feel. Right. Like when I listen to it in the type of tone, like I might write like a pop punk song, like a Ramones type of song, but the guitar tone or the level of bass or just even the lyrics, like you might throw in a weird note in there that just changes like the vibe. Like how almost I like kind of adding like a little dream element to music now. Like right. certain chords sound a certain way that kind of take you in a different direction. And so like that's that's kind of the beauty of of going from one like being an active participant in one type of art and in that is already created for you and then creating that art and then giving that to others to sort of immerse themselves into like it, yeah. it, tr- it definitely translates a lot more than you realize cuz you're like you're you're spending so much time with these games yeah so much time i mean hours and hours like i played symphony of the night for 3 hours last night yeah i wouldn't even have known that had it not told me on the game like i just sat down and put it in and just I was so it's like you've got dance of pales rolling around in your head yeah and then you're like walking around and you're like I might be that song might pop in my head when I'm doing the dishes yeah and it changes the way that you kind of approach life and like that's that's where like being an artist being a musician being influenced like you don't think that you should be influenced by it but you 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 can't help but be influenced just like your environment outside like going outside and, and looking at a tree or like seeing cars drive by or like spending time with your family or like anything like that. Like you, all of this is filtered. Like maybe people who aren't artists, maybe they are, they're creative in different ways. Like music, like music is our thing, but like it's, a, you don't even consciously aren't even aware of how these things affect what you create or what yeah. you put into the world, how you think about the world. Like, right. How we, I don't know what the consequences are consciously of playing so many video games, uh-huh. playing Castlevania so much, yeah, memorizing those songs. Like, like Vampire Killer gets stuck in my head after I haven't played Castlevania for months, yeah, like all the do 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 do, yeah, like, and then I'm just like, I just picture fucking Simon Belmont just like kind of doing that shoulder you know his shoulder thing yeah you know he's just walking into the room like <laughs> like yeah. <a> j- <laughs> he really it's walks like with his shoulders doesn't he oh big time all of yeah. them just a really tough guy and you're like yeah it just it, it puts you in the, when you can actually sit down and, and think about it how much your environment and even the things you consume how those things come out of you and really not like I'm not purposefully going to write a song thinking about, well, this is going to be my Castlevania song. Yeah. But I might have played Symphony of the Night for three hours, and I go and write a guitar riff. Yeah. And there's no way that's not. There's not a direct line between that yeah. one thing and another thing. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, my first band, I definitely wrote a bunch of music trying to make it sound like Castlevania music. I, mean, um, I think that's why I dig your jams so much. It's got that, it's got that Castlevania vibe to it. Um, it's real foreboding. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. No, it's yeah. No, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, like, I listen to tons of like Silent Hill music. It's almost to the point where it's a joke. Where Monica's like, "Oh, listen to Silent Hill music again." It's like, oh, Silent Hill. Yeah. It just sets the tone. It's great music, but yeah, it's like it puts you in that headspace. It puts you in that zone, and yeah, that's like the thing that video games are best at. And yeah, like you say, like when when I make music, I do try and make like really atmospheric music, and there are certain things that I've just like always done. Like I'm obsessive about like how records start and end or like when when you drop in little samples or things between songs or like little synth parts or whatever. Like I'm really, really obsessive about that stuff because it's like, I want the timing and the pacing to either feel like a film or to feel like a video game. Cause like I think back to like, you know, like when I first played symphony of the night when I was a kid and I had it on the PS one, like when you turn on the PlayStation, this crazy noise happens. And then there's like a few seconds of silence, you know, all the title screens pop up and then the actual title screen pops up. Like you press start, you know, there's all these like little sound effects and transitions and music. The save select screen in Symphony of the Night is like the coolest shit. Like, um, you know, so it's like there's all these little things that like slowly pull you into the experience. And so like, when I started making my own music that when I got to the point with music, I should say it wasn't right when I started, but when I got to the point where I understood what I was doing, I knew how to write songs and produce music and all that stuff. I really fixated and I still do on those little tiny details because it's like, I want the listener to like press play on the record and then have like a very specific experience like with being pulled into the record and with like being pulled into the world of the record you know what i mean mm, and so yeah, like yeah i love playing video games and watching movies and getting those ideas because i think that's where those ideas come from because like you know traditional music shit it's like you press play the record just like starts song 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 and like i don't know i like to to try and do something at least a little different so that's a little more like atmospheric yeah you kind of find yourself growing into wanting to create more space yeah, in a song like even a, like the kind of band that we are, like you know, we really quick punchy kind of tunes, but within though within even like that two minutes, like I've just grown into being a little more mindful about sort of that non-linear, like a non-linear path, which I think I probably totally took that from like video games in that sense, yeah. where you're like, like I wrote a song. Uh, my, our, our side door Dracula song, which is about what if Dracula couldn't go to the salad bar at Martin's grocery store <laughs> after because it was a pandemic. It was like my one pandemic song. About yeah, basically, like I was playing a lot of Castlevania. So yeah, I guess I just talking about it now. I did write video games. Absolutely influenced me in my songwriting, yeah. and that song has no real sort of like verse chorus structure that I you know like it's especially when I started playing music and I played a lot of video games when I was a kid yeah um, just you listen to punk rock first chorus first chorus maybe a bridge and yeah. a chorus and the song ends like that's a pretty typical song structure so I guess I could say like when I write a song like Side Door Dracula like I wrote a story I wrote a, I wrote the lyrics first I wanted to create this sort of there's this like emotion that I wanted to convey. Like Dracula is actually like he's trying to 
sing to you, like to express is like, I'm so fucking sad that I can't go to the salad bar. Right. I did all, I did all these things. And of course I referenced shit from Castlevania. Like I make, made the dead walk and you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think I was, I think I was watching the Castlevania series at the time too. Like I think it was, that was on. Sure. Um, which we, we could probably talk for another hour about that, but I, I, I kind of, <laughs> I can't keep you yeah, all day. Yeah, but yeah. but I, <laughs> what I'm saying is basically like, it it is it is absolutely affected the way that I listen to music, the way that I the way that I, I can recognize exactly what you're saying when I listen to another yeah. heaven. Just yeah. just in what I appreciate about music like that, and what I'm trying to accomplish in keeping that sort of framework of that pop punk kind of music I mean I play the drums now but how much now from going from playing bass my whole life yeah like not my whole life you know as long as I've been a musician I play bass guitar you know and now that I play drums in a band it's like you you orchestrate in, in the moment as a drummer right in a sense like like more like in a different way than you do when you write riffs as, on a, as a guitar or when you sing right like and, and so I, there's gotta be I gotta give video game music I gotta give that what you're saying that sense of progression like you're talking about from start to finish like from the first note to the last note there's a purpose in every video game everything in that video game is there on purpose yeah for sure and it's so it's just keeping your you and like you're just really mindful of what you're doing like the notes that you're playing the sort of like why did I do that yeah, you know, you, maybe you're not supposed to think about that because it's art, or it's like, you know, it's 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 unstructured. But it's like, well, let's really think about that. If I if I if I hit my crash here, like I'm doing that on purpose. Yeah. So why am I hitting the? You know what I mean? Like you can get into crazy minutia about about these things, and I don't know if it's necessary. But like to kind of get drive the point home. Like, I think what you just said there is incredibly important to back to what Castlevania did successfully is you want people to want to listen to your music. Right. And what I've learned recently, because it's like, well, maybe Castlevania is the only game I want to play because it's, it's so good. It's like, I also want to write songs that I want to listen to too. Like, yeah. I want to keep coming back. And create that experience too, and I want other people to. I want to share that with other people. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it all comes down to. Is like, I just want to make something that I think is cool. I want to make something that I think other people would like to hear. Also, like when I share it with the world, you know. And uh, yeah, you can always learn from any good piece of art, you know it might not be a really obvious lesson or it might not be something that's like, Oh, I'm just going to wholesale, take this idea, whatever, but you can, you can definitely learn, you know, like, yeah, even with another heaven with us trying to be like atmospheric, like we still end up in a lot of ways sticking to like traditional rock formats, like in our album. And so we sure. always find ourselves trying to insert more space, like you're saying. And it's really funny. Cause like, we have an album we finished that's not probably going to come out. Well, it's not going to come out till next year for sure. I just don't know when it's going to come out. And All like, right. we actually did a bunch of weird interludes and soundscapes and stuff for that album. And a lot of it was actually influenced by Mandy, 
which you brought up earlier. Mm. And like, sure. so we just kept joking, like me and Cole would go in and just make a bunch of drones. It was like, we're on our Mandy shit again. Or like, oh yeah, that's the Mandy <laughs> part of the record. Cause like, there's a, there's a legit like five minutes cool. in the middle of the record. That's just feedback guitar and like cello. And it's like, yep, we're doing a Mandy. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I'd love to push in that direction. Cause then it, it becomes a part it's not just rote memorization and, and just comp- you're you're just performing your composition and it like I get a record is a, is a period of time like it's only right. gonna be you know you you press record you get the best take and that's yeah. that's what it stays in that it's like a all of a sudden it's frozen mm-hmm. in time but like when you can create something that continues to move like in the it's not necessarily a bunch of like you said you could write an album that's just song 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 song. And they all kind of, maybe they don't really connect with each other. They're just a group of songs that you liked. Or you could spend the time to actually find a way to almost create a narrative in that. I mean, I think that's what I've always liked about Another Heaven in particular is just you guys, you have a very deep sound design. Sure. There's a lot of, I've seen your rig. Yeah. I know, I mean, I know what you're working with here. Yeah, and just just even that type of like, I don't know. You have that ambition to be able to take the time to create that because it's like your guitar. It's it. There's it's just like all at once. There's so many things to like listen for and listen to. But then you listen to the song, and it's pretty. You know, it's like you got you can hum along. Yeah, kind of like you know where there's a verse. You know where there's a chorus. Right. I mean, the songs do end. They're never really that long. Right. So it's, but to know that that's how you're thinking about it can really, it really change the way you think about, like, well, like even how you would create on your own terms, I guess. Right. Like, you're, 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 you're giving me ideas now. I'm, yeah, dude. Feeling like, it's I'm like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah, dude. That sounds cool, man. I want to use my theremin on this next to us. Yeah. You gotta. You you I have gotta, to. You one hundred percent have put, to. Gotta put the theremin in the next River Rats album. That dude. was my shameless plug, but Of course. Oh yeah. No, you'll I'll intro you and say the name. I'll 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 ask you what you want in the intro, but I'll definitely have introed you. Um but yeah, no, like you have to do it. It's it's awesome. That's just the cool shit. And like yeah, I don't know. I, I struggle with that, though, because it's like you're always kind of going back and forth between like, I just want to just get in a room with my friends and play rock music. And then the other part of me is like, also, <laughs> I want right. crazy composition and ambient shit. And like, I don't know, I, you know, I and I get to do cool stuff sometimes, which like very weird stuff, I should say, which I'm very grateful for. But like, yeah, actually, one thing I was going to talk about with my friend Michelle, because I soundtracked an animation that she did that came out this year. And, cool. like, the way I did the soundtrack was super influenced by video games because what I did was I made a bunch of compositions that all had, like, independent, like, moving parts. So, like, most of them are not to, like, a set tempo. There's, like, one piece of, like, short piece of music in the middle that's to a set tempo. And the rest of it was all just single note samples and drones that I could move around to match the timing of mm. the, like, what was happening on screen. So, like, I watched the animation. I either, I composed most of it on piano and some of it on guitar. And then later I would just record each little bit or phrase, like, separately. And then I could move it around so it would match up with the timing of the video. And so it was like non-linear 
composition shit and like oh. That was fun. That was fucking crazy. I need to put out that soundtrack. I need to like officially release it. Yeah, I want to. I want to hear that because I want to hear how you kind of. I want to see it connected because it's. That's an interesting way to to go about it because I've only any time I've ever done anything like that. Like, I went to like. I went to film school. I saw the. I used to make my own movies, but I never really worked on a soundtrack of my own. I only had like friends who asked me to do. So I really looked at it like on a film, on a scene level. I never thought about having some things kind of there to sort of build around. Yeah. That. I was creating to what was like to the film rather than yeah. bringing the film to what I created. Like, yeah. if that makes any sense? Yeah. Well, it the way I got the idea. I mean, it was like I said, it was really influenced by video games and thinking about how like dynamic soundtracks in video games work. But uh, the way the way that I thought of it, or the reason that I got the idea, was because um, you know she asked me to do the project, and the film was in super rough form, like super super rough. It was an extremely rough animatic, and I was thinking. I want to start working on it right now, but I know that the timing from now to the final cut is going to be like drastically different. And so I was like, well, let me come up with a way that I can compose all this stuff and be recording and working on it slowly without having to like commit to timing. And then I can just figure that out later. And then I did it in that way. And it just sounds insane because of the way I did it. It's super weird, otherworldly music. It's also mostly like sample based. So like, there's okay. piano and guitar and a little bit of drums, but everything else that appears are like single note samples of like voice and like brass instruments and stuff. And like, it's super weird and like creepy and otherworldly sounding because of that like weird ass way I did it, you know? But you're kind of forced, it forced uh, you to fill in the blanks yourself. Yeah. Like you had, you didn't know what was gonna be like the final, you like, you didn't have a final, like a finished project. To, like it maybe benefited your yeah. process a little bit more because you didn't have something already established for you. I mean, I think that's where I, I don't know, that, that's where I've always been with it. I, I've, I know that I've made movies, I made a, a little short film, it was like a little stop motion thing, it was like a minute long. I did the stop motion first. Okay. And then before I even edited it, I made the song and then I edited it, the music, and the stop motion together, like the stop motion was edited to the music. Yeah, as like two finished pieces. Yeah, like of, they were yeah. separate, and I put them together yeah. rather than one complementing the other. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, this was cool because it was like an experimental animated short. I think it's like twelve minutes long. Um, you know, and it didn't have sound, so the music and some little sound design stuff I would do would be the only sound. So. It's definitely kind of a daunting prospect, which is why I came up with that weird way to do it. But I'd like to do it again in the future because it was so bizarre. Like, is there a way to see it? Um, it's only at festivals now, like as of right now. So it's been like premiering at festivals that are ticketed. But I think it's going to be up on the internet later this year, soon. I mean, I think she was saying maybe in the fall for a public release, just like on YouTube or whatever. Cool. Um, so that'll be up soon, and then I was I was waiting till then. I'm gonna do a cassette of the soundtrack, um, but I need to, I want to do like the A side is the whole soundtrack, just 12 minute like piece of music, and then the B side I want to do like a remix or some kind of different thing for the B side. So oh, I still have sweet. to do that. <laughs> so right on. yeah, I, I would definitely uh, 
definitely keep me in the loop. Yeah, for that. sure, man. I, I definitely want to hear that. I mean, and any friend friend music is. I always get excited about it. I really appreciate uh, other people's creativity. Yeah, absolutely. 